Welcome to the Tinnily Talks podcast, where we dive into the common legal issues facing today's community associations. Whether you're a manager, board member, or homeowner, you're sure to pick up on some nuggets of advice to help you build a successful community in this ever-evolving and changing world. Hello and welcome to Tinley Talks. I'm Ramona Acosta. And I'm Steve Tinley. And today we'll be discussing the new condo lending requirements for Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae backed loans with Mary Beth Green from Seabreeze Management Company and Arthur Hopkins from Click to Buy Insurance Services. Mary Beth is Vice President of Education and Development of Seabreeze Management Company and oversees all training endeavors across the Seabreeze organization. She's a member of Seabreeze's senior management team and creates, implements, and manages internal and external initiatives to help both Seabreeze reps and their board member partners to find clear paths to success. Mary Beth has earned the CCAM certification from the California Association of Community Managers, as well as the PCAM designation through Community Associations Institute. Arthur Hopkins, or ART, is Vice President of Click to Bind Insurance Services, an independent insurance brokerage providing services to community associations and their members. Art brings his passion for complicated insurance risks with more than 18 years experience into his new role in developing a nationwide insurance producer program with an emphasis on community associations. And fun fact, Art is also a CMCA through the uh, Community Associations Institute as well as an educated business partner. Thank you both for joining us. Awesome. Thank you for having us. Thank you. So um, what we're going to talk about today are the new lending requirements um, for Fannie Mae. Those took effect October 13th, um, 2021. For Freddie Mac, um, those went into effect February 28th of 2022. Um, and both of those um, new requirements were a result of the Surfside uh, condominium collapse in Florida. Um, Fannie, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, um, these are uh, government-backed loans. Um, and so they felt that um, more care needed to be taken in the review process before um, doing these, these um, loans for community associations and more specifically the condominium associations and the attached communities. There's a lot of overlap between um, the requirements of the two organizations. Um, so they actually released a joint uniform lender questionnaire. And so this episode is gonna focus on the joint lender questionnaire. So for those of you out in our audience that are only focusing on Fannie Mae or only Freddie Mac, um, just, you know, the, the, we're going to focus on the combined um, efforts just as, uh, or just in the interest of time. So um, just as kind of a rundown of what this is, again, it applies to all mortgages secured by units and projects with five or more attached units, condos, co-ops, attached PUDs, so for those of you who have um, townhome style associations that are technically single family homes, but they're attached, that is still gonna apply. And it applies to projects with significant deferred maintenance or unsafe conditions that are not eligible until the repairs are completed. So Steve, um, you deal with communities with deferred maintenance. I know Mary Beth, you do as well as a, as a managing agent, but when we're talking about deferred maintenance, what are we talking about? We're well, talking about maintenance to significant components that the association is expected to perform over the course of the community association in order to keep these assets in performing shape. So when we talk about deferred maintenance, we're talking about associations that have neglected or failed or for whatever reason haven't upheld you know, their duties to make sure that these assets are being maintained such that it's placing them in potentially a dangerous 
a condition for the association and its individual members, the people that are actually residing in these units. So what Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac have explained is that they're not talking about routine maintenance, the expected repairs, the stuff that's in our reserve study. They're focusing on communities that have a long-term practice of deferring maintenance. And I know one thing that we talk about when we do our board orientations are um, the board's duty of care versus the desire to keep assessments low. Um, yeah. And that's kind of what we're talking about in this kind of scenario too as well, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this kind of dovetails off of, you know, the legislation that's taken effect in the last couple of years requiring associations to do significant balcony inspections. I think the idea, or at least the concern, is that community association boards of directors might feel motivated or feel as though their principal job is to keep their level of assessments, right, what's commonly known as dues, low, right? We can't raise dues, we can't raise assessments. So what's a way that we can avoid those natural increases, especially with inflation and the cost of labor and materials going up? but we just won't maintain these assets to the extent that we can, which is why when we conduct our training sessions with our clients and different board partners that we speak with, we really try to beat back that narrative of, your job really isn't to keep dues low. You're there to maintain assets. You are there to maintain, and depending on the size of the community, I mean, it's you know tens of millions of dollars, potentially hundreds of millions of dollars in assets uh, that you're affecting. So um, when we see that legislation, especially these guidelines, we think that's kind of an indication that regulators legislators are concerned about boards of directors who really might not recognize or grasp the idea that they are there to maintain assets, not just keep assessments fixed artificially low for an extended period of time. Yeah, and Mary Beth, I'm sure you've come across this as well, where you get these associations um, and these boards that they would rather keep the, the monthly assessment low on their budget with the intention of, we'll just special assess for this at a later date. When this comes up and we need to do it, then we'll special assess for it because we, don't, we want to protect our property values, and if we have a higher assessment rate than the community next door, you know, then we're going to have lower property values, so we're just going to special assess for this. Well, they never say that. They actually say, we want to keep our assessments low, and that last section of we'll just special assess for this never comes into the conversation. So to your point where you keep saying the boards are saying that's okay, we'll special assess later. I don't ever hear that. See, I used to hear that. I used, as a manager, I used to hear that. I had a community um, that was 13% funded. Yeah. And um, and then they were going through a major um, reconstruction project, and they just they, they just kept saying that's okay. We're not. We don't want to raise assessments um, during the course while we're in the middle of this project. Right. Um, we don't. You know, we don't feel the need to fund reserves. We've been 13% funded before. We'll just special assess when we need it. There's some that do that subconsciously, there's some that do that more vocally. Right. The end result is... Right, the end result is they just keep kicking the can down the road. Right. So you go to a board meeting and you say, hi board members, let's work on our budget. And what do they do? They look at the operating expenses, they calculate those out, and then they do it back end, yep. they plug the reserves in to whatever's left over so that they can keep the assessments at what they're at or maybe a minimal assessment increase and because they know that they can. Mm -hmm. So what I've tried to encourage over the years with at least our clients is we have them adopt the reserve study first. We don't even give them a budget. Uh -huh. We have them adopt the reserve study first and let's say that they have a calendar year end. That happens in July. Mm -hmm. Then we start with their assessments and what those are going to be and we plug that in. Now can they go backwards and still change that reserve component? Sure, they can, 
but it's a mental thought yeah. of, wait a minute, I, I'm going to be changing this. It's different. Right. Because, you know, again, going back to, you know, this duty of care and the deferred maintenance, when right. we're not funding the reserves, when we're keeping the assessments artificially low and we're pulling from the reserve funding in order to do that, mm-hmm. now we don't have money to make the repairs. Now we're deferring maintenance. And when push comes to shovel, we finally need to do it. Now we have special assessments. All of that to say that, um, again, part of the new requirements, lenders must evaluate special assessments. Why they're being assessed? Is it a result of deferred maintenance? Um, and, and one of the things that Fannie and Freddie have said is that you know they understand that special assessments are common. They understand that there's things that come up that, that are unexpected, that were unanticipated. Um, but were these special assessments being implemented as a result of significant deferred maintenance? And if they were, that may have an impact on the ability to get a loan. Mm-hmm. So, you know, to your point, I think, you know, if we're robbing Peter to pay Paul, <laughs> that's what we're like, that's, that's where we're headed. Right. And so it's how you explain that to the boards today. And it's how you explain that to the homeowners when you do have to levy the special assessment to get them caught up. So the, the pitch that you give to everybody is, look, we need to get this done. And if we don't, honestly, um, the pitch that, we, that, that I used to use personally when we were talking about levying a special assessment was you don't want to have something bad happen, but sadly, Champlain Towers has really played a part in the special assessment discussion now. Mm-hmm. You don't want to go there, right? Right. And, and that has happened. Um, additionally, SB 326, um, the funding of those studies themselves is in a lot of cases a special assessment in yep. and of themselves, let alone what it's going to take to fix those components. Yeah. Yeah, so now we're talking about deferred maintenance. We're talking about the special assessments. The lenders also want to know, you know, why the special assessment, but now that the assessment has been implemented, is it being paid? Is it being timed? Or do we have significant collection files on the special assessment, which depending on how much that assessment is, there could be. I know we've seen that, um, Altera has seen that Mm -hmm. from time to time. Fannie and Freddie are also requiring a minimum, it's a minimum requirement that associations budget 10% or more of assessment income for reserves. So to your point, Mary Beth, right? California doesn't have a minimum percentage or a minimum dollar amount. All California says is that you need to reserve for what's needed. Um, you know, in accordance to your reserve study or to your budget, right? Yeah. It doesn't even really say that, but it's just, but no. that's the idea. Yeah. That California says you have to disclose it. Mm-hmm. Well, California says that you have to fund. Yeah, you have to fund. Yeah, so we get this question from our clients. Oh, you know, we're we're 70% funded. Is mm-hmm. that bad? Or 80%, mm-hmm. you know, what, what percent do What's we have to be? Number? And, um, you know, the Common Interest Development Act says that the board shall exercise prudent fiscal management mm-hmm. in maintaining the integrity of the reserve account. Well... Okay, what does, what does that mean? What does that mean? What's interesting with um, you know this questionnaire and this minimum requirement that associations budget uh, 10% at a bare minimum or more of their annual assessment income towards reserves. Well, now we have an indication of at least you know how uh, you know officials are looking at this thing when they say, okay, what's prudent fiscal management and what's not prudent fiscal management? Um, you know, budgeting 10% or more. But just on the general issue of what percent funded needs to you know does an association need to be, for those of you that are listening, understand it's going to vary, right? It's going to vary depending on the nature of your community. If you're a mid-rise or a high-rise condominium where you have to maintain significant mechanical systems and structural systems and roofs, 
you know, you not being adequately funded, having a lower percentage, well, that's a concern because in the event of a failure, you're talking about a significant special <coughs> assessment. But if you're a, you know, single family home, planned development, and the only thing you reserve for are some, you know, asphalt for streets and maybe some landscaping, if you have a reserve shortfall, is that going to be a significant expense? And if you're not able to undertake it, is it going to be something that potentially creates, you know, a life safety hazard? Maybe not, which is why, you know, as attorneys, reserve analysts, it's always kind of a moving, uh, moving target. But I do like the fact that we have somebody coming in here in some form saying, yeah, you, you need to be sending some budgeting money towards your reserve account every year. And at a bare minimum, that should be 10%. So we can use that now as, I think, a starting point to really talk about, um, you know, what boards should be doing when they're asking these questions. Yeah, and I think, you know, from, from a management standpoint, you know, minimum management standpoint, I mean, when we talk about, you know, I, when I was managing, I, you know, I was, I was the condo queen. And these types of communities were what I dealt with. The communities that were, you know, over 30 years old, that had deferred maintenance, that had you know hardly any reserves, that you know were, were falling apart at the seams, and you're trying to figure out how to get those assessments up incrementally, how to apply special assessments incrementally, um, you know, and and now we're talking about you know minimum budgetary requirement and quote unquote unsafe conditions and what is unsafe, you know, and again going back to you know the SB three twenty six and the Berkeley balcony collapse. And now we're dealing with, you know, the Champlain Towers, you know, tower collapse. We're talking about, um, you, Mary Beth, you know, you brought in an article for, you know, the uh, neighboring building that was just evacuated, um, you know, a couple of days ago. Apartments. You know, it's unsafe conditions. Mm -hmm. So I'd like to pull you in, Art, um, with this conversation just in terms of, of unsafe, you know, because I know you're coming in from an insurance standpoint. Um, and property insurance, mm -hmm. well, and even, and even liability, <laughs> liability insurance, right? Yeah. Um, you know, what, what are we talking about when we're talking about unsafe conditions? So unsafe conditions, in Fannie Mae's perspective, is pretty much if a portion of the building has to be evacuated for an extended period of time. That's the very basic definition on its own. But from an insurance perspective, there's so much more technology out there now, and there's so much more struggles in insurance costs as they're rising, too, with everything else. You know, um, for example, um, a roof that is in deferred maintenance can be an unsafe condition. But 20 years ago, underwriters didn't have access to Google Earth with maps of the roof. And now you go into Google Earth or Google Earth Pro, and you have a carrier either significantly increasing the rates, demanding that the roofs be fixed within a time period, or they're going to issue a non-renewal. Because on Google Maps, they can see that there's pooling water on the flat roof, or that there's tiles missing from this roof, and you've got a whole new set of conditions that carriers are putting back in because although a roof leak isn't necessarily covered, the board's duty of care to do their inspections, to get the work done, could hold the association negligent. So even if they had a bare walls policy, if the board was found to be negligent or could be negligent, the carrier could choose to settle in favor of the owners and pay for coverages that the association never should have paid for. And now they're looking at a claim that has hurt their loss history in today's market. So, so it's not even necessarily exposure potentially under, uh, you know, claims filed under the property policy, but exposure under the liability policy because the board's aren't doing what they need to be doing. I had no idea that carriers will actually look at aerial photographs of roofs and components like that. Yeah, it's really? been a struggle on an underwriting perspective in the last three years. Um, I, I wish I could take all the credit for it for all the companies because yeah. my, my background is farmers. I know farmers like the back of my hand, but oh. now I can't talk about it other than general generalities. But 
their underwriters have gone to other companies. So, in, including Philadelphia, who's right downstairs, yeah, or right across the hall, yeah. So, but yeah, underwriters are looking at those, and you know, I, I get complimented on my submissions. I make sure to do check the same roofs. I try not to do a quote unless I'm looking at a reserve study because those are questions. When was the roofing last updated? You know, when was this done? I mean, back in the day, the general agent would submit to a carrier on an older property that everything's been fully gutted and renovated since 1990. And now all these carriers are non-renewing these risks because they're seeing these visual inspections. Uh They're covering these claims for negligence. Um, I mean, the big case that um, isn't talked about enough, in my opinion, because it involves both the associations and the insurance carriers is the um, Lamplight Village versus, um, I'm sorry, Thompson versus Lamplight Village. And it was all about playground equipment. Mm-hmm. Playground equipment basically hit the kid on the head, long-term memory issues. Um, in Nevada, punitive damages are covered by insurance, but the association only had a $2 million limit. Mm-hmm. At the end, very generally, it was found out that someone brought up a maintenance program for 200 bucks or something like that a month, board shot it down. Shot it down. Shot it down. Um, and we don't because need that of that expense, yeah, we don't need that expense. But yeah. now the jury, um, the insurance carrier, thought they would win, so they went to the full jury trial, and the jury trial came back in favor. So they had a two million dollar limit. The judgment was twenty million dollars, and so now in Nevada, not California, and they don't have the protections that we do. They don't have the protections we do exactly, and and, and even still, let's say it was California. The owners wouldn't be personally liable if they kept the minimum limits, but they're still liable for the assessments to their membership of the association. So can you imagine having 200 units and an $18 million unfunded coverage? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So insurance and inspections ties into all this. So again, on the property perspective, you know, stairwells, things need to be maintained. Things need to be inspected on a regular basis because you, know, you can have someone now with all these Uber Eats and deliveries and Amazon. I've had a past association where in one year, three people fell down rotting stairways. The board never did anything. Multiple lawsuits going on, and had they actually followed the manager's advice to pay for these annual inspections, they wouldn't be in the uninsurable situation that they're in now. Yeah, yeah. So I feel like we're just kind of snowballing, right? You know, just we're talking about for maintenance, you know, we've got special assessments, and now we can't get insurance, and... Now we can't get loans. (laughs) Now we can't get loans. Today's episode is brought to you by Altera Assessment Recovery. Altera provides comprehensive attorney-supervised assessment collection services to community associations throughout California. Trust us with your collection needs. We'll get the job done, done right, and as quickly and efficiently as possible. Altera Assessment Recovery. We're the collection team you've been looking for. You know, I kind of want to just... Um, take a step back just in terms of what Fannie and Freddie are determining is, is what mm-hmm. is unsafe, right? So they're talking about, and you mentioned it, full or partial evacuation of the building, so anything that's more than seven days. Um, deficiencies, defects, substantial damage, that is severe enough to affect safety, soundness, structural integrity, or habitability. I feel like that's kind of a duh, mm-hmm. right? Substantial repairs or rehabilitation. Um, I like that you mentioned the roof because they also say anything that impedes the safe and sound functioning of one or more of the building's major structural or mechanical elements. So they gave foundation, roof, the load-bearing structures, and so like for us, we talk about, you know, like the, the balconies and the, mm-hmm. and the extra elevated elements. But they also mentioned the electrical systems, HVAC systems, plumbing. So really anything that goes to the, lividabil- the livability or the habitability mm-hmm. of, of these units, right? Technically, so for, for example, at my association, where 
three-story townhomes, no one above, low, all next to each other, kind of funky draw, uh, drawing. But for our HVAC, we're all responsible for our own individual components versus maybe um, your typical aging building now built in the 70s, maybe early 80s. It's a mid-rise, three, four, five stories, and they all have interior hallways for access. So there you've got your shared components and your HVAC systems, your elevators. I was at a property walkthrough with the board, and thank God the um, insurance loss control adjusters weren't there, but um, I was able to point things out. Even myself, I'm like, this is gonna be an issue because when loss control comes through, they're gonna wanna know that this is actively being worked on. So they actually, the management company actually worked um, a bunch of uh, work orders that day just to start getting bids because you looked at the electrical panel for one of the five buildings on the property and you could literally see the rust coming out. You can see the, um, the, the cover for the electrical panel was almost, if you took a pen, you could puncture it with a hole. And it's supposed to be a safety thing and God forbid the cabinet be left unlocked and now you have a kid poking around in it and gets electrocuted. Or total negligence fire or, you know, or an electrical fire even worse yeah i mean yeah, that's the, and these are the buildings that are going to be the issues that are need the the additional right. inspections and so on so if, again from an insurance or a loss perspective experience mainly focusing on the um, thompson versus lamplighter case if the board has knowledge and could do their in their good faith do their best to um, you know, do what they can in good faith, they're going to have that protection. But if they, you know, in the case of civil code, what is it, 5,800, um, maybe this board member isn't increasing the dues or getting the deferred maintenance because they own five or six units in a project. They bought them out, you know, in 2008 when they foreclosed on. They now have a commercial exposure. The intention of the law in the civil code doesn't protect them. Mm -hmm. And that's why, again, they need umbrellas. Because of Champlain Towers, the umbrella carriers have reduced their limits on the programs. I used to be able to sell a $300 million umbrella to luxury communities and high value communities. Now I can't get it for anyone new. The maximum is now 45 million. And those that are renewing are getting less and less limits every year. And they're, they're seeing their protections go away. Right, but you mentioned earlier where you were talking about looking at the the Google Maps and looking at and just getting making sure that you've got the right pieces. You were pulling the reserve study. When you pull the reserve study, are you looking at the reserve study itself? Is it version six? Right, and does it have pictures? Is it on site? Well, and so what we see is we see the boards. We love our boards. Make no mistake, we love our boards but some of our boards are a little bit anxious, right? So they get that draft one, draft zero, and it comes in and it's, oh gosh, well, let's push this out another four <laughs> years. Let's push this out another five years. Let's get those numbers down, get those numbers down. So you talked about, Ramona, you talked about how boards are not funding to the reserves. I also wanna point out there are some reserve analysts out there love them love them but they're too flexible they work with the boards too much where the board says no no move this number to this move that number to that and they do and i you know to your point i'd love to get your perspective steve i'd love to get your perspective on that because you know again going back to business judgment rule and and duty of care you know boards are insulated if they're following the advice of the expert and if the reserve analyst who's the expert is giving them a reserve funding plan and the board is now tinkering with that plan. 
you know. Uh, and the reserve guys are telling uh, me, because I'm telling the reserve guy, right. dude, stand up for yourself and mm-hmm. make sure that you make you hold your line. And he says, no, they're telling me that's what they want. I'm going to put it in. And those aren't, those aren't my favorites. Yeah. I've, I was talking to a reserve FYI. analyst this morning, and he even said, define major component. He's like, who makes that decision? I do, unless the board tells me otherwise. Right. And where does that stand up in law if there's an actual case yeah. that yeah. comes in? So, you know, yeah, as, as volunteers, right? You're expected to rely on the advice so of your experts. I coach but. the reserve guys. I do, I do. But yeah. some of them are pretty firm in how they do. This is my study. I have my stamp on it, and right. I'm going to do it. And some of my guys say, if they tell me that that's what they want, that's what I do. Yeah. So, yeah, it's almost yeah. like you go to that uh, account that says, "Tell me how many taxes you want you're comfortable paying," and then we'll <laughs> then we'll work backwards, uh, you know, from there. Where so, do you need the numbers to be? Yeah, it's. I mean, we, you know, as as you know, attorneys, we deal with this sometimes. I mean, we always tell our clients, especially when we're interviewing with a prospective client, they say, you know, tell us about your firm, what you do, and they, and you know, we always tell them, you know, if if we have the opportunity to work with you, understand that you as a board are our client, right? The corporation is our client. You know, you have a fiduciary obligation to the corporation. We have an ethical obligation to the corporation. What does that mean? That means our job is to tell you as the board what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. So understand that if you come to us saying, we want to do this or we really want this outcome, but we're saying, well, no, it's not good for the corporation and this is what your requirements are. If you're going to have an issue with that, then this partnership isn't going to work and we wish you the best of luck. And maybe there's some reserve analysts that, I don't know, could be you know a little bit more cognizant of the importance of that. I mean, do you really want exposure for yourself or be in a situation where you're known as saying, well, yeah, this guy is gonna, or gal is gonna tell the board whatever it is that they want to hear, not what they need to hear. And then are you really doing your job to who your client is? And the client is the corporation, the board isn't. You know, the reserve studies are prepared for the board, it's prepared for the association at the direction of the board. And I think that really needs to be embraced and respected. Yeah, um, and then, you know, Art, you mentioned um, in talking about the reserve studies, you know, the, we have um, the, the reserve study that is required once every three years that requires mm-hmm. the inspection. Um, now, many of uh, us as managers, you know, we do the computer update in the in-between years because we want to get the updated reserve funding plan, the updated assessment, reserve funding disclosure summary, um, all those disclosures that are required by the civil code. But we're only required to do the physical inspection once every three years. Fannie and Freddie, as part of determining what is unsafe, Mm -hmm. are also looking for whether or not the the association has conducted the um, inspections that are required and whether or not they passed them. Um, And you also mentioned from an insurance standpoint whether or not the association is completing inspections. Other than the reserve study and the SB 326 inspection, are there any other inspections that our associations should, that should they be performing? Um, performing and or be aware of. So um, I'll use my own association as an example. We just had a new owner purchase in. They met the Fannie Mae requirement for 50% owner occupied with the original developer finally selling their unit. Yay, let's change our CCNRs now. Um, so, but the management questionnaire came, um, was completed and it was not noted because we had transitioned management companies that there was a building inspection on file within the last three years from the city of San Diego. How do I know that? I'm the board president. I filed a building complaint against a neighbor who installed a vent through what appeared to be a solid structural beam. I was not an expert. I did not have access to pull the building plans because of COVID, the Department of um, Services was closed roughly. And so I had no other option but to file the complaint with the city. 
The city finally came out, did their inspection, advised that it was a non-structural modification, slapped the owner on the hands because he should have used a licensed contractor versus a handyman, and our only condition was that he paint the vent to match the building. Um, also past president. Uh, <laughs> Love that. <laughs> right? So I realized that a Fannie Mae questionnaire was completed. It's not my liability. It's the um, not in the management companies because we do our accounting outsourced. But it's that company's liability now, and I'm that company's insurance agent. So I had to reach out to the city, I have to order it, I have to update them so they have a copy of the report because it was done within the last five years. So, you know, sometimes when there's issues, maybe that is the board's way of, hey, you know what, we don't want to, you know, approve this architectural modification or it was done, so maybe the board needs to contact the city and get that city opinion, because the opinion came back that there's nothing wrong and no corrective action. But on the reverse side, if there is something wrong, then the board has to take action. So as far as inspections, they should be, if they have elevator components, they should have those inspections. If they have um, central boilers uh, and or other um, HVAC items, that they should be getting those inspected. Should it be annual? I don't know. As far as fire sprinkler inspections, it's mandatory that they're inspected, but I see association after association that hasn't had a five-year inspection and you know probably don't even have, aren't aware that they, if they have a fire, their insurance policy is going to exclude the fire and the damage from the fire sprinklers because they have not been maintaining their testing. Mm -hmm. How many managers and, and associations don't even know that they're supposed to be doing playground inspections? Probably not. <laughs> and, these are, and these are building components, right? I mean, this, mm -hmm. you know, playground inspection doesn't play into what we're talking about now. But until life safety comes in and something gets hurt. Can, right. And so I think, you know, there are inspections that are required that are out there that I don't think that we know about or key in on because they're not high profile like an SB 326 inspection, right? Sometimes you just, you know, out of sight, out of mind type of situation. Or, you know, like the playground inspection, you know, you're required to do the inspection and you put the report in your file. You're not required to give it to anybody or do anything with it. So it, you know, again, out of sight, out of mind. Um, high rises, high rises have their annual yeah. inspections that have to be completed, not necessarily to meet any um, legal obligation, but if they want to keep up their um, warranty mm -hmm. issues with the developers when they get turned over, those have to be done on a quarterly basis, an annual basis, a monthly basis, depending on what the components are. Right. And the building engineers do those. And then do those get handed over to everybody who requests them on a Fannie Mae? Right. Or what about those associations, um, the CCRs, because many of our newer developments um, are requiring the maintenance manuals right maintenance and are requiring the annual inspection as part of the right. maintenance manual right. that's what right. I'm, so whether it's a high-rise or any yeah. new development it's all the same part of the process the developers right. got smart and they said okay here you go homeowners association we are going to give this to you and we're going to tell you how to maintain these pieces so that mm -hmm. if in fact you come back to us later and say that something is not right, we're going to look at you and say, did you do it this way? Right, right. Because because ultimately what we're talking about here is if these associations are not checking all of these boxes, mm -hmm. then Fannie and Freddie um, have a database. They call it Condo Project Manager, and it's basically a list of thou shalt not lend to these associations. The deadbeat list. These, mm -hmm. The deadbeat list, right? Yeah. And once you end up on this list... It's going to take a miracle to get off it. Yeah, and, and so they say it's not permanent. You know, once you make all the repairs and once you finish all these special assessments, then you can come off the list. But, again, if we're talking about an association that's 30, 40 years old that has, you know, all this deferred maintenance and, and very little reserves, right, it's, it's going to be 
next to impossible for them to get off well, in a short period of time. It's a way for Fannie Mae to get out of those loans, right? Right. I mean, so they probably have been uh, sitting in the back room trying to figure out how to not lend to these folks for a while anyway. This is probably one way to do it. Um, the other thing that you have to think about, too, is that Fannie Mae only applies to, I mean, what's 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 the new limit in, in Orange County? In Orange County, it's 980000 right. In San Diego County, it's 870 for the maximum loan. Thank you. So so we sit there, wow, 980000 $980, doesn't get you a doghouse today. Right, right. So that's not a lot. If you look at your number of associations that you manage, depending on your management company, it's going to be a percentage of your population. Now, what if they're in SB 800? SB 800 is a different discussion, and once those magic words are used, it's probably going to tell Fannie Mae, thanks, no thanks. Yeah, SB 800, even the right letter, yeah. automatic, until it is done, settled, and fixed, automatic on the list, and nothing off of it. All right, so, so now you're only talking about this other small percentage of the population. But it's an important percentage. It's an important percentage. Um, you know, again, I think that there are too many of them that are that are out there. Just from you know my days as a manager, I think that there you know I think that there are too many of them that are out there. But I also recognize that California, as a state, that is moving towards finding affordable housing mm-hmm. and is looking at dropping the price of housing. Because you're right. You know, I mean. You know, typical two-bedroom condo anymore, you know, with any kind of bells and whistles is going to be close to a million, if mm-hmm. not more, at mm-hmm. least in South Orange County. Mm-hmm. But if we're talking about, you know, trying to create more affordable housing units and trying to get more people into homes, more communities are going to fall into this $980,000, $875,000. It's, it's going to apply. Well, and for the tax savvy, you know, you can buy a $2 million condo and you can get a Fannie Mae jumbo loan and you can still get that portion of your tax write-off. So for that other elite percentage, it's still a tax incentive to go for the, the jumbo loan. Yeah. So, you know, now now we know what the crux of the problem is. Um, how do we handle, how, how do we answer these questionnaires? Because that's, that's the big head scratcher is how do we handle the questionnaires? And um, my understanding is... Um, that the onus is on the lender. So Fannie and Freddie have put the onus on the lender to figure out whether or not this is a good loan. They're gonna do that based on the information that they're obtaining from the association. Any quote unquote representative, representative of the association can provide that whether it's um, management or a board member. Um, Fannie and Freddie are willing to get it from the seller, but they would like to get it from an official representative, meaning a board member or the agent of the association. So if you're Mary Beth and you're filling out a condo questionnaire um, and this community has deferred maintenance, no reserves, and a, a huge special assessment, what does she do? A legal standpoint, like what would be your recommendation in filling out that questionnaire? Does, does she fill it out? Does she fill it out to the best of her ability? Does she say, no, I'm not going to fill it out? You know, and, and it's just generally speaking, because again, every association has to follow the legal advice of their, their particular yes. legal counsel, right? Absolutely. And every attorney is going to have a different opinion. But just in globally, as you're sitting here, what do you think? Okay, well, I mean, I think, you know, you, Mary Beth, personally, and your company, they would want you just filling it out on by yourself, saying, well, I'm going to put this stuff together. They're going to say, okay, no, you know, what their potential exposure here, what do we need to do, right? And when you hear exposure, you think, okay, we need to talk to legal counsel about it. 
our recommendation for our clients is, okay, well, give us a pool of information, and what we'll do is we'll prepare the questionnaire on your behalf, right? It provides protection for the client, it provides protection for the managing agent, and it also allows us to protect our client because it makes sure that we are not disclosing things or potentially failing to disclose things uh, that we should, that we can make sure that it says everything it needs to say, nothing more, uh, and nothing less. So it really is something, and it sounds self-serving, but legal counsel has to be wrapped uh, into this, especially because of how new this is, uh, and everybody's still getting to feel for you know the best way. I mean, over a year, you know, as as time goes on, I think there will be kind of some you know a more understanding. There will be more par for the course. There'll be less of a need to rely on legal counsel. But at least right now, when there's all this newness and all this ambiguity, your association's attorney should really be the one quarterbacking um, how these responses are are prepared on behalf of of the association. Agreed, absolutely, yeah. and. Again, thou shalt not cross-pollinate legal opinions. I say it so often. Originally, when these first came out, I talked to about, well, I sent out the e-blast to, what, 15, 18 different law firms up and down the state. Hey, how do you guys want to do this? A couple of them in Nevada. And got so many different answers. And those answers tell me that it really does need to apply specific to that association. I will tell one quick story about um, a request that came in. Our escrow team did what they needed to do with the answer for that specific client, and that client's loan was rejected by Fannie Mae, and we got a, hey, you didn't give us all the information, blah, blah, because the information was uh, I'll call it nondescript. Let's go with, with that. And when I looked at all of the information, that specific client, Condo Community, they were in the middle of, I'm not going to call it reconstruction, but they had just gotten a special assessment. They were 10% reserved. They had um, a, a huge bunch of projects going on. And if you read the rejection letter, it specified all of these things. So they were calling out that it was the answers to Fannie Mae that were the reason for the rejection, and I called out to them, our, our answers are not going to change. Mm -hmm. Please note the following from your rejection letter and bullet point, bullet point, bullet point of, you gotta look at the whole picture. So to your other point, each client is so very different, and you really do have to provide the information that is specific to that client and why they're getting what they're getting. Like what you hear so far? Make sure to subscribe to the Tinley Talks podcast at TinleyLaw.com and never miss an episode. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. Now let's get back to the show. Um, the other thing that, that I found interesting is that you know, you've, you've got the questions pertaining to, you know, do you have a deferred maintenance? Do you have unsafe conditions? Yada, yada, yada. Um, my favorite one is, is it anticipated the project will, in the future, have violations? <laughs> yes or no. Violations. Yes or no. But but to, you know, and I think that, that to your point, you know, I, it's not a yes or no. It's, it's a maybe. I don't know. But if you're in the middle of maybe your SB 326 inspection and you know you're not going to hit that deadline, then that might be a definitive yes. But again, that's mm -hmm. a conversation you need to have with legal counsel you know, with your, with your experts to really figure out. So my question, yeah, do I, do I want to step in it and say, yes, we're going to be in violation in a couple of years. <laughs> you betcha. <laughs> yeah. So on that, I've talked to my association's legal counsel on that with the very issue with, you know, Hey, these questionnaires are coming up, markets going fast. I want to make sure we're doing our due diligence. 
we have 32 balconies and 16 units, and I still can't get a clear definition of which one needs to be inspected until we actually do it. So I got to pick a firm and go with it. But the answer I got from my legal counsel was, if you know of if you know of no known violations and you're planning to get your inspections done, you have no knowledge as of this date to the of best any of issues. the association's knowledge as of this date. Right. Exactly. Right. So. I may be praying for a red tag so I can get through a special assessment without <laughs> membership vote, but I'm also hoping that there's nothing wrong. Right. But again, I attended a wonderful CAI seminar on you know, recognizing these issues and the reason for SB 326. And so now I know that, oh, it's not just rain and runoff, that's tobacco staining. I probably have some rod issues. Yeah. So, you know, do, do I have knowledge? Not as of this date. So Steve, just, just a commonsensical question to you, just to kind of alleviate some of, some of the fears, right? So we're answering these questions to the best of our knowledge. We're providing as much documentation as we can. If we missed something, we were unaware of something, I mean, how much, how much exposure are we, are we into here? Because again, the onus is on the lenders to get it right. It's not really, you know, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac are putting the onus on the lender. They're not putting the onus on the association. So, you know, is, is, it, is this a just do the best that you can type of scenario? Uh, it is, based on the information that's there. Don't willfully conceal anything. I mean, the extent of the exposure, you know, we don't really know because, I mean, what kind of cause of action would be brought? I mean, I could potentially see where, I mean, if you have a catastrophic, you know, situation where someone moves in and either there's this massive special assessment and now they can't pay their loan because they can't pay their assessments or before someone actually gets hurt or they themselves get hurt, you know, I could see a you know personal injury attorney saying, "Who's got insurance policies here?" Okay, well, you know, my you know my client bought into this community, right, in reliance on the due diligence that was done by the lender through the escrow process on the representations that you, as an association, made, and you willfully failed to disclose the fact that you knew you had a big problem, but you just wanted to hit the no box because you didn't want to ruffle uh, any feathers. So, um, well, and to add into that, it's not going to be just one person if it happens. They're exactly. going to be knocking on the doors of their neighbors, and it's going to be a class action. Right. Yeah, well, definitely, definitely. So, I mean, that's what insurance carriers love, right? These personal injury. I mean, just I mean, think about the situation. I mean, I, I think in the um, the Champlain Towers case, uh, the law firm I think had to pay a you know a ten, I think thirty or thirty five million dollar. A settlement to get out of it. They were sued. I mean, everybody was sued. So, I mean, think about it. I mean, all the carriers paid out all max the carriers, limits. Absolutely. And now, what's that association's losses? I mean, I, how do you even think about how does no, they're not rebuilding? <laughs> they're not, I mean, yeah, it's like, what do you, you know, what do you do uh, at that point? So, um, yeah, I mean, it, it is a concern. There is exposure. The extent is going to vary, but why it's important. But there also could be exposure by disclosing things that you shouldn't necessarily disclose or characterizing things that you shouldn't have characterized in that way. So there could be too much, right? It's You want the porridge just right. You don't want it too hot. Uh, you don't want it too cold. And in terms of determining what's right, you know, your legal counsel based upon the community's specific characteristics, they're the ones that are going to be able to, to guide you in that direction. Well, and as with the annual disclosure requirements, the association is only required, there is not required to do the Fannie Mae questionnaire. They don't have to do it. Mm -hmm. um, there's only specific documents that they have to provide. It's there in the, should be, in an accurately completed annual disclosure and policy disclosure. So the civil code is there to guide, and that's where a lot of attorneys are gaining reference from so that they can avoid these gray areas because they are truly untested. Is there a lawsuit for someone not getting a loan yet? Is there a lawsuit for someone getting on the do not lend list? 
hasn't happened yet. But that's, again, my expertise is risk management and mitigation. We Let's prevent this. Let's have these conversations. Let's get that consensus. Let's get that legal opinion and stick to it. So as in Mary Beth's famous words, do not cross-pollinate. Yeah. You know, get that opinion and stick to it. Some boards, you know, ask, well, it's not, you know, our job isn't to help lenders, you know, lend. Well, okay. But, I mean, let's take this, you know, a more of a bird's eye view. What's the, what is a board's job, right? Maintain assets, right? Or how have, you know. Protect the association's assets and maintain the property values. Maintain Mm -hmm. property, yes. Preserve and promote property values. That's been iterated by, you know, California appellate courts, the Supreme Court, and a variety of California cases, right? I mean, that's what you're there to do. You're there to preserve and promote property values. So if you are willfully precluding uh, your, you know, your unit owners from being able to attract buyers that have this, you know, advantageous source of funding, and as a result, you are depressing property values. Yeah, I could see. I mean, it sounds tenuous, but I could see an argument saying you're not doing your job as a fiduciary mm-hmm. by sitting here and just refusing to act. And as a result of that, you're you know basically you know deterring the increase of property values because you're making it harder for people to buy into your community. And how into that fiduciary duty can it be interpreted, especially by a court of law? Were you breaching your fiduciary duties? Because then. If it's not in good faith, you lose the protections from Civil Code 5800 and 5805. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, even still, I mean, we you know boards say, okay, well, fiduciary duty, whatever. I mean, we're, you know, we've got insurance. That's what we have insurance for. Right? <laughs> but, they think, but they think insurance is free, right? So, okay, yeah. Like, oh, yeah. So you, as a board member, you're not going to be personally sued, right? You're going to be indemnified and defended by the carrier. But now there's going to be a major loss on your association's loss history, which... What is that going to do to your premiums? In today's economy, yes. Moving forward. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. It didn't cost you anything. But why is it that everybody's paying significantly more in assessments next year? Right. Right. Well, and and let's add in there again. In California, insurers are prohibited from paying fines, penalties, and punitive damages if it goes all all that way. Other states, they have those protections. But in California, the insurers are not allowed to. They are um, absolved from paying those. So if there is a fiduciary breach and there is a penalty assessed times the number of owners or complaints in a class action, the association is still going to get stuck with it. And absent protections of good faith under Civil Code 5800, the board of directors could still be personally responsible if they are personally assessed those fines and penalties by the court for making that action. Punitive damage is being imposed upon a specific person. Exactly. There's not coverage for that. Not in California. Got it. Okay, so... I'm on the board. I'm in this. I'm listening to this podcast, and I'm realizing that um, my association falls into this bucket, right? And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, now what do I do? Because I'm so far behind the eight ball. How am I going to dig my way out of this? So, um, which bucket are you in? I'm. I'm in the. Um, I'm ending up on the list bucket. You're on the Fannie Mae do not list. lend list. I'm, I'm on the do not lend list. Um, and I'm realizing that um, I've, I've got a problem on my hands and I've got to figure out how, how do I get out of this? What, what do I do? You know, right? Because I can only raise assessments so much per year and I can only special assess so much per year. Which also puts you on the list. Which also puts you on the list. <laughs> so, you know, and I know that I can get off the list eventually. How, how do I get there? What do I do? Probably talk to a loan consultant. A lender would love to get a community a purse approval. P-E-R-S is a very specific approval that Fannie Mae grants. So if you get someone who's familiar with it or understands the guidelines, they will tell you, here's what you need to get there from this perspective. And then you work with your manager and your reserve analyst and your attorney. Say, hey, we know we have these issues. You know, we have to fix them. It's now been 
documented by a government-backed lending entity. Mm -hmm. So what is your issue? Let's just say you've had your balcony inspection. You know there's an issue. You've got a red tag at one of your buildings and you've got inspections pending. You know you're going to have to take action. It's going to have to be done. And if it's not a red tag and it's not life critical, it still needs to get done. So if the money's not in the reserves, if you can't get the emergency assessment, you have to fund. When I bought into my community, which was at the end of a roofing assessment because they didn't reserve properly, my dues were 175 a month. Been there five years, they're now 495 as of April 1st. But we're getting things done. We're getting the deferred maintenance handled. Now all we can do is, you know, I'm deferring paint for five years because I don't need to paint. Mm -hmm. I would love to paint. It's not safety, but I still need to redo my handrails. I need to do my balcony rails. Yeah. I have to fix one stairway because it's out of code compliance for the safety and, and I have knowledge as a board member and the former agent of the policy. Yeah. So I have to take action and the community has it too. So technically, I don't think we should be on the Fannie Mae list, um, but someone filled out a questionnaire incorrectly, an appraiser came in and made their observations and they made the decision to do it. I had nothing to do with it. My manager had nothing to do with it. So that was the lender's opinion and that's, that's where it is. So again, to fix it, Get, talk to an appraiser, talk to a lender, see who was willing to do the services for free. A lender will because if they know that, hey, I got my name out there, Joe Schmo Lender, who's your favorite guy, I have this community approved and or I'm working on them. So now when we do have everything fixed, I want to you know, be the person that everyone calls to get their refinances through because for them it's future business. So a lender would be willing to work for either no fee or a reasonable fee. And um, 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 that, that kind of helps you get along because it's, it's a team effort. You as an individual board member can't do anything or can't take action until you have a plan. And to make the plan, you need your resourceful experts. You need your contractors, your architects, your engineers, your managers, your insurance agents. You need your lawyers. So get your team of experts together and help them have a town hall so that you can present a town hall to your homeowners or decide to sell and run. Well, and that's, that's, that was going to be my next question. You know, what about the PR component? Because we've got to wrap the homeowners in on this, and we have to do it in such a way that we're not angering the homeowners to the extent that, oh, my goodness, now I'm going to have to pay all these special assessments. I'm never going to be able to sell my home, right? I mean, we don't want them to show up at the town hall meeting with pitchforks. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's there's a PR component to this. Yeah, but get out in front of it. Yeah. I mean, that's – so many times I get surprised. I think there's just this – this fear uh, that board members have, oh my gosh, we have to do something, especially when it's financially related. We gotta raise assessment, we don't want anybody to know about it, or um, you know, we wanna we know that we need to repipe our building, but how do we do that? Everybody's gonna be upset about it. You'd be surprised, you know, how many times I've personally done town halls where, you know, the members will support what they feel like they have been advised of and feel like that they you know that they're at the decision making table as well, or at least being educated throughout the whole process rather than just being hit with something in the 11th hour. Bring your professionals to these town halls. We've gotten a number of significant special assessments for you know building-wide repiping projects approved by the membership. It's because we'll have the, the construction manager there and we'll have the plumbing company there and then we'll be having the association's accountant or someone that's able to make a financial presentation that puts it up on a screen. Members, this is what our line item is every year for these plumbing repairs. And this is what's happening. And these are how we're gonna have to start assessing everybody over the course of things in order to keep and make up for this. And this is the concern it's having on our insurance. Or we can replace our infrastructure with mm -hmm. brand new stuff and you won't have to be hit with a leak that forces you out of your unit. 
yes, it's going to be a special assessment, but this is a major, you know, improvement. And then you have all your experts there. Let them answer the questions, right? Don't don't be the mm-hmm. board member who feels like they have to, you know, know everything. One time I was dealing with a client, a board president said, well, I got to know all this stuff because if someone asks me questions, I got to know everything. And I said, to be honest with you, I would be concerned if I was in a community and my board president held him or herself out as knowing everything that the lawyer knows or everything that they could do. You're there as a volunteer, right? Your job for something like this, putting a plan together, is to be a volunteer, regardless of what you mm-hmm. do as a day job. Bring the experts in. Let them communicate it to your membership. And I think mm-hmm. boards are, you know, oftentimes they're surprised. Oh, wow, that went really well. well and I've participated in town halls well before these items came out. You know, Midrise, downtown San Diego, um, there um, were circulation towers where kind of having issues. Um, but on my vast experience, I've had an association that had a loss um, back in the day. Six million dollars, building was evacuated, the dry out was done with generators and by hand because the building had no power because the basement was flooded with all the waters. So imagine having you know 100% of the owners displaced and then you're dealing with their insurance companies that are not paying their loss of use, they've still gotta pay their mortgage, and so I was brought in as the expert, as the insurance, saying, hey, I have dealt with the claim. If you don't put through this special assessment and approve it as a member level, it's going to turn into an emergency assessment and you're going to have to pay it anyways. And you better call your insurance company to make sure that they're going to pay for this because it's going to be years of work. Oh, and by the way, your insurance after a 6 to $12 million claim is not going to be $50,000 a year for the next five years. Exactly. Said it a lot nicer. Yeah, but it's very <laughs> compelling, right? When mm-hmm. it's there and it's black and white, rather yeah. than just trying to hide the ball. Project manager love me, lawyer love me, same call I typically get. Who are you and where have you been all my life, Art? You know, these, the, the, these new requirements are technically, they are temporary at this moment. However, they are going to be permanent. Yes. You know, they're, they're looking at creating federal um, um, lending requirements that will be permanent right now. Um, I know CAI National is is doing their work to to make it as easy on our industry as possible. But the reality is that this is this is coming down, and I feel like, and Steve, you made this point earlier, that um, although it is a small number of associations that that we're talking about, um, it's happening enough. And, it's, and there are enough high-profile incidences that are happening where the government is getting involved. The yeah. state legislature mm-hmm. responded with SB 326. The federal government is responding with Fannie and Freddie. So this is something where I feel like, you know, it's, it's time for us to kind of shift as an industry and realize that we, we've got to start taking action. We have to start doing our due diligence and doing, um, fulfilling our responsibilities, and that might mean assessment increases. Yeah. SB 326, all the disclosures that we have, we do this, I mean, what is it there for? What do we have to start doing? We have to start doing our job. And I, I think that, you know, the concern, oh my gosh, this is going to raise assessments. I think, for whatever reason, I think people discount, okay, well, what's the alternative? Do you think that by deferring maintenance and keeping your assessments artificially deflated, that in the end you're going to end up saving money? Are you are you increasing your property values by not maintaining your property? Yeah, well, yeah, you're not gonna you're not gonna increase your property values. But think about this. I mean, how many associations have we worked with that might be at a you know over the course of three years had a massive assessment increase, and now that thing is fixed, and they're going to be playing catch up for years and years and years. Would you have spent less in the end run by doing your job and incrementally increasing assessments over time? Are you in a better financial position? 
now than compared to where you could have been had you have been doing your job this entire time. And don't you think that it's so much easier as a homeowner to pay a cost of living increase every year versus being hit with a $15,000 special assessment? Well, and then what if they can't afford payment? And that's the hot potato, right? That means that everybody else got to live for free, essentially. Before me, and they sold their place and didn't have to pay in towards this. Versus, I'm still yeah. here, and now I'm stuck with the bill. It's a hot potato. Yeah, this right. is taking out the life safety yeah. stuff, which is important, yeah. right? But I mean, if you want to analyze this from a purely monetary, objective, financial standpoint, do you think it's financially advantageous in the long run to not do your job in maintaining assets? And in today's very example with that, the answer is yes. It's costing you more now because if you didn't defer that roof replacement three years ago. You're now paying an extra sixty-two thousand yeah. dollars for you know right. a thousand squares. And well, what, and what else is rotted underneath the roof now because that roof was failing? Right? Exactly. So the scope of the project has increased significantly. So and with band aid approach, cost of living, cost adjustment, cost of construction, the construction cost index for California, which labor is published wages, every month. Yeah. You know, labor rates. Oh. Every everything goes. Everything up, has gone up. Everything goes up every year, and so it's it's. Um, it's questionable logic to think that if all of your expenses are going up every year and your assessments are remaining the same, right? You're you're where's where's that going? You know, you're you're right. leading towards the special assessment and, and again I come back to and we talk about this um, on the collection side, you know, it's gonna be so much easier as a homeowner to pay that small incremental increase. Mm-hmm. And if I'm a board member and I'm and I'm trying to think about my members and I'm sitting in that board meeting and I'm reviewing that budget, my thought process should not be, well, I have homeowners on fixed incomes and that mm-hmm. they can't pay the small increase. My thought process should be, I know that I have to do, I have to replace my roof in 10 years. I'm only 10% of the way there. How much of that special assessment is gonna be there? And are those homeowners on that fixed income gonna be able to pay mm-hmm. that special assessment? Because that assessment is coming. Yeah. Whether, whether you, you want it or, or not. not. Well, you're absolutely right, and I'll mention that with the same numbers every year, it works on multiple things. You should be, in your budget perspective, you should be in planning and calling. Call the water department. Hey, what are our anticipated increases? What are, call the trash department. Are you adding fuel surcharges? Do we need to find a new vendor closer that doesn't charge them? My issue with insurance is when I see a policy that year after year after year has not changed on the building limits, when even minimal inflation was one and two percent per year, and now you're seeing these association renewals going up 20, 30, 40 percent because their coverage is going from 50 million to 70 million because they've been underinsured because the agent just kept them with the same number to keep it easy. It just the numbers always change, so you're absolutely spot on that we should be planning for this across the board on all items to increase and pay that little bit more every year to make sure you're good. Yeah, I just I, I feel like you know, and, and Mary Beth, you can speak to this as well. You know, I think when when we got into this field, I'm not going to say how many moons ago, <laughs> this this industry is self-regulated, and has been, and and that has been our focus for a very long time. That we want to remain self-regulated. No ombudsman. And and the more we see situations like this, the more we invite the government regulation. This mm-hmm. is why this this is why California is stepping in. This is why Fannie and Freddie are stepping in. This is why, you know, the federal government is looking at, you know, setting some standardized requirements that are going to go across all states. Um, Because, to Steve, to your point, you got to do your job. Do your job. And Mm -hmm. what's the job? What's the job? Is the job to keep your neighbors happy because you're the board member who kept assessments from increasing? 
I mean, is that, if that is what you think your job is, you know, you, that's where education is important, right? Think mm-hmm. about it. It's your assessments are never going to stay where they are. As good a job as you do, that will keep them from artificially increasing or ballooning, right? That will slow the rate of growth over time. But really, I mean, if, I would love a, to your point, Mary Beth, you get these clients, oh, you're going to love working with us. We're, our board's so effective. We haven't had to raise dues in 10 years. And we're oh my gosh, what's going on in that community? Right. Yeah, what's their situation? Rather than board saying, you're going to love working with us. We do our inspections. We're a policy-driven board. We're, you know, adequately funded. You know, we have no deferred maintenance, all those types of things. Okay, these are professionals that understand what their job is. So in the event that we have to advise them legally, we can feel confident that they're going to understand what the situation is rather than trying to hide things or massage things in a way. And those are going to be the associations that should be pre-qualified for Fannie Mae and Mm -hmm. should be able to fill out questionnaires confidently. Because there's even cases where they don't have to fund at 10%. They can be under. But they got to show two years of financials and go through the extra step. But if they want the easy process, they have the guidelines, they have the check boxes, yeah. the dues are going up, they're following their reserve study, they're the manager's you know, favorite because yeah. they want to increase the dues only because they have to to operate successfully. Exactly. So, and, the, and, and those associations, big emphasis again, should not have any issues with these lending hiccups. Yeah. I think it's instructive that these questionnaires don't say something to the effect of, um, have you been successful at not having to raise assessments for five years, right? I mean, that it's kind of, that's the point. It's like, well, do you have any deferred maintenance? I mean, look at this mm-hmm. stuff here. This is, they're saying, have you been doing your job? Yeah. Right? That's what 326 is. Have you been doing your job? We're concerned about life safety. This, uh, we're concerned about the security of units that we're lending on. We're security about the financial viability of the borrowers that we're going to be giving a loan to. Right, all these assets. Have you been doing your job? Have you been maintaining things? Have you been inspecting things? If you're aware of violations, what are you doing to uh, address them? Right. So it's um, it, it's inviting regulation. I think in large part. I remember when SB 326 were at the same conference table, Ramona. We were looking at it, and there was just this giant echo chamber in the industry. Oh, this is terrible. This is the worst thing. We don't need this because we perform reserve studies. And we're looking at. Well, I don't necessarily agree. I think study. that there's you know some merit behind this mm-hmm. and what is it really doing? It's forcing us to make sure we're doing our job. So I think the questionnaire in large part, you know, kind of dovetails off of that. Well, that's our show for today. Thank you all for listening. We'd like to thank Mary Beth Green and Arthur Hopkins for your time and expertise. Make sure to visit our website at tinleylaw.com if you haven't already, where we break down this episode, then stay tuned for our next one. To share or subscribe to the Tinley Talks podcast, visit us at tinnelylaw.com. There you can find links to everything discussed in this episode, locate helpful resources, check out other episodes, and submit questions for future topics. And be sure to tune in next month for our next episode. As always, the views and opinions expressed by the podcast, its presenters and guests do not constitute legal advice. For more information on the topics discussed in today's podcast, please consult with your association's legal counsel. This is Tinnelly Talks presented by Tinnelly Law Group, your community, your counsel.